Hello, hello. Welcome to the V-Hive, your go-to podcast for all things women's intimate health. I'm your host, Hannah, here to discuss the many questions you've always had about your body but never wanted to ask. Whether it relates to sex, chronic pain, trauma, relationships, healing, hormones, spirituality, and so much more, we are normalizing taboos, breaking down the complexities of the female body, and providing you with the information you need to take your health into your own hands. Before we get into this week's episode, which is absolutely incredible and I am so excited for you guys to hear it, I want to quickly tell you all, if you don't already know, about the new V-Hive candles. They are hand-poured, made with soy wax and plant-based fragrance oils, made in New York. The scent is vetiver, softwoods, and musk. They're so pretty. They smell so good. The wax is light pink, so when the candle burns, it literally is just this pink glowing color. They're amazing and all the proceeds obviously go to supporting the beehive. So please check them out, buy one, um, support this podcast. It really means a lot to me. You can buy them at thevhive.com. And I also want to quickly mention that I just added a new page to the website. So under the shop tab, there is a sub tab called products I love and I have put all of my favorite products there that I have discount codes to. So you can easily just see the product, the discount code, the percentage that you'll get off. And I just wanted to create this for you guys because now all of the products that I share are curated in one place so you can see them and access the discount codes. So check out the candles, check out the new products I love page and let's get right into the episode. Today I am here with Bojana Novakovic. She is an actress born in Yugoslavia, raised in Australia, and now living in New York City. She is currently working on directing her first feature documentary, The Forbidden Ant, and also has a history of many years of, of living with endometriosis. So that's primarily what we're going to discuss today. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, although I wish I didn't need to be. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, We met a few years ago at an event in the city. It was actually uh, a book signing event for Amy Stein and and Dr. Orbach's book um, on endo. And then that was probably like two years ago now. And ever since then, I kept on, I don't know, I just kept thinking about you and how we met and was like, oh my God, I want you to come on the podcast. So finally, we are, we have connected and we're here and you have a really great story that I'm excited for everyone listening to hear. Okay, good. What do you, where, do you, where do you want me to start? It's so funny that like we quantify it as a great story when it's like I know. a story of like 20 years of misdiagnosis I know. and pain. But it is definitely a story that I think people should know about so yeah. um, it can be avoided for other other women or folk with female sexual organs. <laughs> I totally, yeah, I totally agree. And you're right. I mean, what you went through is absolutely not at all great in any way, but I think it's an important <laughs> story and the messages that you have to share are great. So I think that that's really what is important for people to hear and I just wanted to have you here to help spread that but before we get into all of the questions I have for you 
start by just telling us a little bit more about yourself, what you do for a living, um, how you got, I know you're an actress, but more about that and how you got started in this field. And then I have a bunch of questions for you. I, I act for a living. Um, I'm a writer. Uh, now I'm directing my first documentary. Um, I create a lot of theater. Um, and uh, I like to involve myself in sort of research and finding out, you know, lots of lots of things about the bigger picture of our existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a, actually a great topic to... to um, to discuss those sort of bigger picture questions through because, you know, my experience with endometriosis and pelvic pain is that I felt it since I basically knew about my reproductive organs from the first time that I was sexually active. I had excruciating pain. I thought that was normal because obviously I was young, I was small. Um, And then after a while of being sexually active, I thought there was something pretty abnormal about this sort of nice stabbing pain during intercourse. And at that time, I actually went to see a gynecologist in Australia, and she suspected that I had endometriosis, which is very interesting because it was about mm-hmm. twenty years ago. And so I did. Ha- I, I went, you know, I went under the knife. Um, we had laparoscopic surgery. It came up with nothing. So she sort of, um, you know, came out saying, "There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with you." And then sort of didn't really direct me towards further investigation kind of like oh well it's up to me now to figure out what the problem is and you know maybe it's psychological I mean that was like the first thing and maybe it's psychological and maybe I'm nervous during sex and anyone who knows me knows I'm definitely not nervous about sex maybe I wasn't in the beginning but it's definitely something I really want to enjoy and do enjoy now (laughs) I'll I'll spoil like spoiler alert sex is great for me now Mm -hmm. um and yet something about that sort of follow lack of follow-up rather um you know led me down a path of trying to figure out what's going on but mainly having to see doctors who would just sort of put it back on me if it's not endometriosis then it must be psychological or then it must be your anatomy or it might be just the way your nerves are or and i guess over the years what ended up happening was I would just sort of either put up with it or pain would override the pleasure or I would find some kind of way to tell people who I was sexually active with that I had certain pain and they would have to be slow and then we could kind of get in, you know, we could find a rhythm and I tried to talk about it but I tried to also be cool because, you know, when you're growing up from teenage years to 20s, you sort of want to be the best girlfriend ever and being the best girlfriend ever means that you're like awesome at sex and I got to really kind of... um, like fake it before you make it kind of thing with my sexual um, activity. But I also ended up slowly over time starting to have excruciating period pain, excruciating pain during bowel movement during my period. And still, you know, I thought it was an intestinal thing or I thought it was just, okay, it's just my period. Okay, this is just part of being a woman. And I would bring it up in conversation here and there with medical professionals who would always be like, oh yeah, you know, that's just part and parcel of being being a lady. Um, And it wasn't until sort of the last five, six, eight years, it just got so bad. It it just got so bad that at one point I had, like I actually had like 
small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. I was diagnosed with it. I would have to crawl to the bathroom during my period. Um, you know, I would be late to set because I'd literally be sitting on 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 the potty trying to go to the bathroom. You know, at five o'clock on a Monday morning, um, and figuring out whether like it's worth me sitting there for 10 to 20 minutes trying to get a bowel movement going or whether I should just go to set and kind of put up with pain for that day and you know during all of this time I didn't have the language of okay I have this inflammatory condition called endometriosis Um, sometimes that condition causes pain in women sometimes it doesn't for me it's probably because it's probably been growing for a very long time um, it's probably a lot of things, not just the endo, but definitely like the body's response to it, the, the, the immune system's response to, it, response to it, the central nervous system's response to it, like everything just starts to go on, you know, hypervigilant alert, I suppose, to um, try to, um, to try to kind of reduce that inflammation and reduce like my pain reactions or to, or to amplify them so that I would do something. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what happened for me was it just, it just got to a point where like I was actually just exhausted. I, I, I had some, some form of exhaustion that I couldn't understand because I was well slept and I ended up getting all of these different blood tests done and all the different things and, you know, it, it kind of came to, okay, there's something wrong with my intestinal tract I was diagnosed with SIBO and then the doctors, both GI, because I, I, I went to like, when someone said to me, oh, it might be endometriosis, I'd be like, no, I had this laparoscopy done, you know, in 19, what was it, 2004 or five. I had a laparoscopy done, it came up negative. And, you know, people who knew about endo would say to me, look, it might've come up negative then, but there's just been a lot more research done on it now. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's very different. You might've come up negative and had it, and not known or you might have had you know some form of like fibrosis or something else that people that they weren't looking for that then ended up becoming this um and my experience was that the gi doctors actually pointed me towards you know um experts in endo who then assured me that i definitely had some like endometriosis but i was so averse to that diagnosis because i gone you know I had surgery and the surgery like wasn't great and I I still have scar tissue from that surgery like Mm -hmm. it wasn't the 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 post-op kind of procedure and like going home and I I was young I I think I was probably smoking and drinking at the time too I I don't think anyone advised me to change my diet I don't think anybody sort of discussed with me like diet and anxiety as a causality for pain you know so I just sort of got on with my life and I was I just didn't want to hear the word endo and then at some point I guess I just I just thought okay I did a, my, my reading and I realized that there's been a lot more research done and I you know I agreed to have the excision, excision surgery and the result was like 13 excisions 13 mm-hmm. like it was all the way up to my diaphragm um, the cul-de-sac between my my um, uh, womb and my um my colon was like a like was kind of packed with it and it was my my colon was actually at a right angle which explains you know sort of the the pain that i was Mm -hmm. experiencing with the bowel movement and um and then i guess i just sort of 
had a name for what had ailed me for so long. You know, and I'd even been to sex experts who were like, oh, you know, we think you have this, and then they test my muscles, and they'd be like, oh, no, you don't have that. Um, I'd be like, no, no, I don't. Like, I know what I'm doing. I know how to relax those muscles. I know this, I know that. And, it, like, no amount of self-knowledge availed me, like, the absence of that pain. No matter mm-hmm. how much I knew about myself and my body, it just never went away. And so this surgery was sort of the first step, you know, this excision of 13. And they were all, it was all endometriosis, I think all 13, maybe 11, maybe the other two were like some kind of fibrosis or something, but Mm -hmm. there was a lot of it there. And so for women, you know, who, who end up having endo or finding out that they have endo, but it doesn't cause them pain, that's definitely not my story. But I do also believe that endometriosis isn't the only causality of the pain, Mm -hmm. right? So my experience is, that I felt such severe pain post-surgery that I actually had to go into treatment for anxiety because I would have these surges of anxiety that had nothing to do with the surgery. Mm. And they would cause such pain on my scar tissue that I kind of had this epiphany of, wow, like this is normal anxiety for me, but if it's causing me this much pain, imagine what it's actually doing to my body Yeah. when I'm, um, when I'm okay and I don't actually feel what it's doing to scar tissue and so I went into treatment for anxiety and I saw you know a psychotherapist a psychiatrist and a therapist and you know I actually started taking medication and I'm I really I'm a like to me it was it's so interesting because I went to a doctor the other day and they said to me you know do you I was talking about back pain and they said you know do you take anything for that and I said yeah Zoloft 50 milligrams like Mm -hmm. my pain is gone Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like like all this pain that I used to associate with physical abnormalities or like herniated discs and and like endo or this or that, you know, a lot of that is, you know, just my chemical makeup. Yeah. And um, and so that, that was a huge part of um, the treatment. And I, and I do think that endo and pelvic pain is an all-encompassing condition. And I think recovery has to be all-encompassing. So like my diet, I'm fully plant-based. Um, I literally, and one of, I think I really want to plug Amy Stein's work here. I don't know how to plug it enough. Mm-hmm. Physical therapy is probably the number one element of my um of my recovery and my my sanity um i talk about that a lot on on the podcast yeah i i want more surgeons to talk about it because surgeons will always say to you you know surgery 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 and that's fine and excision does do certain things but i lived with endometriosis for 20 years right and whether i had those 13 bits of endo there or not i still could could kind of live with that pain and I'm glad I had it taken out. I had to have it taken out. I also had a post. I had a. I had another surgery as well this year, which was actually even even easier because I knew what to expect. Because I, I actually had an endometrioma that grew in my ovary, oh, wow. in my left ovary between the between the two surgeries, and I've decided that if I have another one, I'm not going to touch it. I just don't want any more surgeries mm-hmm. because I've realised that like diet, mental health, and um, and physio with Amy has been like the salve to my mental and physical well-being it's just phenomenal and i don't know why we don't talk about physical therapy as like a crucial element of recovery from pelvic surgery when like if you if you if you operate on your shoulder like you go to physical therapy i know know? it's crazy 
Yeah, it's really weird. It's really weird. It's one of those really weird things. And, um, you know, one of my best friends is um, working for Yale right now, kind of devising their transgender um, medical program and mm-hmm. curriculum. And, you know, I've, wore, I've immediately put her in touch with Amy. Like, Amy, you know, I've oh, just that's been talking awesome. to yeah, I've been talking to everyone I can about if you have any form of pelvic surgery, you just go see a physical therapist mm-hmm. before and after. And with this, I had the experience of understanding how important physical therapy is because I really stuffed up. Can I swear on this? Mm-hmm. I, I have a potty mouth. I just want to know. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, basically, I was due for my second surgery. Um, also, sorry, for year. context, I want to just, I want everyone to know how old are you now? Oh, I'm 39 now. Okay, I was cool. 37 when I had the... Well, I was... Jesus. I can't remember how old I was. I was a teenager, I think, when I had the first surgery, mm-hmm. and then I was 37 when I had my you know, my, my first excision surgery. And then okay. this year, in July, just after I turned 39, I had the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had... Uh, this year, when I was due for that second surgery... I had actually decided to um, not go down the route of like these concierge endosurgeons. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. I get the appeal of that, but I think a lot of that is marketing. Yeah. And I decided to kind of dig a little bit deeper and talk to friends and talk to people and talk to hospitals. And I found this, this woman who is incredible at, um, at uh, Mount Sinai in New York. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Dr. Lee Rosen and what I realized was that for me the mental aspect of recovery is far more important than whether I have like the best surgeon in the world right because I can have the best surgeon in the world but if they don't get back to me or if they like or if like I have issues and the surgeon I was going to have here I think he's incredible but it's just impossible to get in touch with him Mm. and and I, and I still to this day, like, I won't name him, but, like, I think he's amazing. And I think that what he's doing for endo is amazing. But he just wasn't the right surgeon for me at that time because yeah. I needed someone that I could contact. And I figured out that, like, it doesn't matter if he performs the best surgery. If I'm anxious about not being able to get in touch with my doctor after totally. my surgery, there's no point in me forking out that money for that concierge surgeon when, when someone who is just a good surgeon – by the way, Dr. Lee Rosen is an incredible surgeon, but yeah. I'm saying – even someone who's a decent surgeon but I can contact and will definitely like have my back in terms of that mental recovery is better for me now some people's mental recovery is dependent on them having the best surgeon and they need that and so they should go for that for me this was different and it was such a great experience and I'm telling you I was on my feet the next day like I wasn't exercising the next day but within two weeks I was exercising but here's the deal with physical therapy because I hadn't gone for a while because I was like oh I'm feeling better and you know I don't really need it I hadn't gone for a long time, like six months. And I had, you know, the physical therapist, like Amy or whoever, you know, I I got a wand, you know, so you Mm -hmm. can do your own internal massage. And I hadn't done that in a while either. And I thought, oh, it's two weeks to surgery. I should actually kind of give, and I, you know, I haven't been sexually active for a long time. I should, I should give myself this, you know, a bit of an internal massage. And so I get the wand, I wash it, I do everything. And then I do the internal massage and, you know, I do it as normal. And the next day, I literally wake up thinking that I have a yeast infection, a UTI, herpes, like everything. Like, it just feels like I have every symptom of everything. I'm like, I've got SIBO, I've got 
like my intestines were inflamed, my vagina was hurting. I, I, I called up all these doctors. I was going crazy. I was like, something's wrong. Maybe I didn't wash the wand properly. Maybe I didn't this. Maybe I didn't that. And I couldn't get in touch with this surgeon. And I was like, oh, I'm in a panic. And I got in touch with like an absolutely gorgeous doctor. Like, thank, thankfully, he sort of really, he stepped in. He's a, he's a, he's a friend of mine's brother. I actually mm-hmm. had to call, like, a producer who I work with <laughs> and be like, I am, this is so awkward, but I have to speak to someone and none of these surgeons are getting back to me, which is when I decided to change surgeons, obviously. Mm. And he, he talked to me for about an hour and a half. Oh, my god! And, yeah, it was amazing. He's a gynecological oncologist. And he basically sort of said to me, you know, he was like, I recommend you don't take any medication because I think that what you're having is a reaction to a stimulus and, you know, your pelvis, given the fact that you have endo and that you have this history, your pelvis is reacting to what it normally reacts to, but you haven't been going to physical therapy on a regular basis. You haven't been sexually active. Like you're not giving it any stimulus to like keep it active in that way and it's doing its normal reaction. And you think it's a yeast infection or you think yeah. it's this and you think it's that, but it's just having a reaction because you have this aggravated pelvis. Mm-hmm. And he sort of, it was really interesting because he reminded me of the fact that endo is one of the factors in that pelvic floor like dysfunction, I hate that word, but mm-hmm. I'm just going to call it that. Um, and it was the first time in my 20 years of having, you know, oh my God, I've got a yeast infection, I better take this, or I've got this, you know, and, and results are coming up negative for everything, but I'm just like popping pills all over the place because I'm panicking. Yeah. It was the first time in, in, in those 20 years that I went, you know what, I'm just going to listen to him. Mm. and I'm not going to take anything. And he reassured me. He said, if it's still there in two days, he goes, can you put up with it for two days? And I said, yeah. And he said, if it's still there in two days, then um, go into an emergency room or, you know, go to a doctor and see someone and, and like, see whether it's a yeast infection. And then he also, he you know, he also recommended Dr. Lee Rosen to me, who I spoke to. And mm-hmm. it was gone within, like, it started to, minim- like, it, it went less and less, you know, um, over the next sort of 24 to 48 hours and I realized that like all these years that I'd been thinking it's a yeast infection or it's a UTI or it's this or it's that it's just it was actually just the condition of my pelvis of those muscles of those nerve endings being obviously in some form of a spasm or something you know that had to do with the way that my pelvis reacts to stimulus and so immediately I called Amy and immediately I was like oh my god I realized what I did wrong I have to see you and now you know I see her once a week and I've got to tell you like I since changing my diet and seeing her once a week I don't have pelvic pain like Mm -hmm. it happens to me once every couple of months yeah and it probably happens because I have I, it doesn't really matter. I don't even care why it happens. Like, and it happens, you know, I, I don't even have bowel pain, like bowel movement, pain upon bowel movement during my period. Like, none of that. And there's like a little voice in my head going, oh, that's because you're about to go through menopause. And I'm like, no, I'm too young to go through menopause and shut up. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't get to tell me that my, like, relatively pain-free existence is to do with something negative. It's to do with the fact that, like, I've literally addressed 
this problem from every single angle because there's a team of people and friends and colleagues and the support network that I have that I've spoken to about this openly and I'm talking about it openly and I'm discovering like the importance of actually sharing the story with other women and, and trans folk openly so that no one has to go through 20 years of fucking hell that I went through and that a lot of us have been through because of like this complete lack of discipline that the medical fraternity has had towards women's health over like centuries yeah right mm -hmm. and that's where like we get into a bigger picture conversation around it but like it's not my fault and it's not the fault of other individual women who have endo or have pelvic floor dysfunction or have pelvic floor problems or like it's just not like it's not a personal thing like yes i'm i'm uptight and i'm anxious but that's not like why my pelvis hurts honestly like and that's sort of why like this whole idea of like blaming the victim and oh you know you've got anxiety maybe you're tight no like i've done all the exercises to know how to like relax my vagina and tighten my vagina and like have a great like and have the awareness of this and like tighten my vagina around your finger and like this and that like i know everything like i know what to do down there and it's not it's not because i'm anxious or i'm too much or i'm too like busy or I'm not busy enough or I'm depressed or I'm hyper or like whatever, like whatever kind of like, oh, it could be this or it could be that. No, it's like, this is a real thing. Women and some men have this and it needs to be addressed and considered and it needs to be a part of like medical education and education in medical school and we need to pay attention to it. Yeah. And it's not because our wombs are problematic. It's because our wombs are amazing and magical and like, and have like, all these different incredible nerve like nerve endings and they belong to a system of like muscular like overlap and there's just a lot going on there and it needs attention attention must be paid mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no i completely agree and i also just want to say that like I think that the story you just told about, you know, with the doctor that you called and he told you to just do nothing for two days, I think that that's a really important story and message because, you know, I, I don't have endometriosis, but I had pelvic pain and vulvodynia and bladder urgency and frequency for a long time as well. And after you go through that, every time you feel the same symptom, you instantaneously think, it's an infection and even my therapist um still says that my psychiatrist still says the same thing to me if i'm ever if i speak with him when i'm not feeling well or whatever it is he's like just wait two days he literally says the same thing wait two days like an antibiotic for a uti will always be there for you Diflucan for a yeast infection will always be there wait two days are you stressed out right now yes okay wait two days um mm. but it's so true because it's not, and it's not to say the symptom isn't real. Like the symptom we know is 100,000% real, but it's like stress, anxiety, fear, shame, whatever it is, and any emotion, like normal human emotion we have can cause symptoms and it can cause pelvic pain symptoms, just like, you know, we can get someone else may, may have back pain or a migraine or whatever. And I think that, it's, you know, that that is a really important message for everyone to hear that like, instead of rushing to a doctor which is so hard and obviously I do the same exact thing and you almost feel like you forget it every time you feel a symptom but it's true it's like our normal human emotions can also cause us to feel symptoms and if we if we have you know if 
if our pelvis is the area where we hold stress, like we're going to feel it there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And this brings us to sort of that, you know, that thing that you mentioned that, well, I mentioned that you mentioned that, Mm -hmm. you know, that endometriosis is not just a physical ailment, but an emotional and spiritual one as well. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it, it just becomes like having the pain and then having the symptoms, um, you know, it, when, when you're not diagnosed, it's particularly painful because then you have, firstly, you have inflammation and you don't even know that your body's responding to that, right? Like, yeah. like I don't even eat inflammatory foods anymore. And, or when I do, I know what they are, you know, but mm-hmm. like really like plant-based diet, like plant-based, you know, diet, plant-based lifestyle, <clears throat> there's really nothing inflammatory that goes into my mouth. And so I know that I'm creating an anti-inflammatory like um, system for my digestion and, you know, and therefore for the absorption of nutrients and all this stuff. But when your whole body is focused on like, uh, um, like reducing pain from this inflammatory condition, I mean, the physiology and the physiognomy of that affects your moods. And then it of course affects your, like your connection with, your higher self or like whatever you want to call your spiritual kind of practice or whether whether you have a practice or not it affects it affects your connectivity to the rest of the world right so it affects yeah. your feelings and then the way that you connect to people the way that you connect to your environment um and it becomes this sort of this hodgepodge of like for me like just despondency honestly like it was just so that sometimes like i even have to kind of like like untangle the web of wow like that period in my life could very well have been a lot could very well have had a lot to do with um my endo you know and if we don't address it oh, it's just going to be more and more difficult the other the, the, the flip side to that is like the over the overdiagnosis of it you know like now i'm seeing ads on television you know and like a bunch of pharmaceutical companies jumping on board like oh you know we're diagnosing endometriosis it's a real problem here's this medication you can take and it's like don't fucking take it I'm I know. Like, do you know what i mean i'm like okay great like they've jumped on board that's awesome and of course now like pharma is going to commodify this this condition and now they're going to make money out of it and they're going to be able to, you know, instill fear in women that we've been living with already and, like, give us this false, like, hope in, in, in medicine being, in medicine being, like, the solution when really the solution is, like, so, it's, it's like with any, any medical condition, again, like, the solution lies in, like, a very collective, um, in, like, in a, a collective and holistic approach to your entire life and lifestyle and I and I feel like sometimes I think maybe my aversion to that the word holistic whatever you think of it think of it but maybe my aversion to this idea that like I need to take care of the mental physical and spiritual at the same time for this has to do with the fact that I was told it was in my head Mm -hmm. and I think some doctors might think that like that terminology of it's in your head reads to some of us as okay like I can like it, it feels like what we're being told, which we are, by the way, is like, yeah. oh, this is, it's not real. Whereas it's real, but also like your mental state contributes to um, the level of pain that you feel or your, yeah. your levels of anxiety, because anxiety is an inflammatory condition as well, 
add to the levels of pain that you're feeling and they're going to be adding to it because your body's going through an inflammatory response when you have an anxiety surge. Mm -hmm. And so I just would encourage any kind of medical professional who kind of loves saying it's in your head to just be like, you know, there's actually mental, physical and spiritual like recovery for this rather than it's in your head. Because I think we've all sort of, I'm not even a doctor and I understand the connectivity and I understand the fact that like there is so much research now whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat whether you you know whether you're like privy to like a whole bunch of discourse on women's health or not and trans health or not there's definitely a consensus that our mind and our body and our feelings and our our connection to God or a higher power or our our propensity towards meditation or prayer are all connected in a very um succinct and like beautiful way kind of like strings on a guitar like they don't necessarily touch but they still play the same tune like all each of those strings has to be in tune and the same person is strumming them and they're not necessarily touching they can't touch actually but they are i think this is from a sufi poem that i read years ago there was an analogy about that mm-hmm. the strings of a lute and how like but they coexist and they and they and they're part of the same melody and i i just feel like we've got to keep talking about it no that's well said i completely agree and um i mean but i do think that it is progress that so many people i mean unfortunately have endometriosis but fortunately are starting to feel more comfortable speaking about it look i never wanted to talk about it i just guess that there wasn't like i don't really talk about my personal life at all like you know, my socials don't even have partners. Like, there's, like you look at my socials, you you would you know you would kind of read that I'm a spinster who lives by myself, and because yeah. I, I just don't like I don't put kids on them. I don't I don't have kids, but I don't put kids on them. I don't put you know boyfriends on them. Not that I have multiple boyfriends. I just mean like, <laughs> and it's not like it's not something that I share. And like even in but in the conversation about endo, yes, I do talk about my sex life, and I do talk about like my emotional connectivity and I do talk about the importance of like connecting with a partner and having a language around it and all that kind of stuff because I just feel like this is bigger than an individual problem it's like for years I thought it was my problem you know just like I think just like I think you get you know you get people thinking that like that certain medical conditions that are sparked by by like the air that they live in or the, or, the, or the society that they live in or even addiction in and of itself, right? Um, certain medical conditions are sort of like, um, like prelegated to the person and the individual. And yet when you, when you kind of step outside of that and you see this collective sum of like 10% of women have endo and you see, and then you, and then you figure out, okay, some of the causality of it is dioxins and some of the causality of it is hormones in, in meat. And some of the causality is, um, you know, uh, parabens and things in, in makeup products. And you go, oh, okay, this is actually like a bigger issue to discuss. Like there is actually all of these bigger societal structures that contribute to this mass of women having this condition um and even if they don't even if you can get it without any of that stuff that stuff has already been proven to increase it mm-hmm. right yeah so these things have to be discussed and the yeah. bigger picture has to be discussed yeah um and 
and fingers like I'm definitely not averse to pointing fingers at people. So that's that's why like the personal becomes political, and I hate that. Like I hate the fact that the personal becomes political, but that's that's the world that we live in right now. And so the discourse I think is very very important to um, to create, raise and raise awareness. It's so true. I want to talk about the article that you recently wrote for Refinery29. It was called, What It's Like to Live with Endometriosis. I was told the pain was in my head. It's an amazing article that I highly recommend everyone go read. Um, But towards the end of this article, you talk about how one of the things your therapist helped you with was to be honest about your pain with not only yourself, but with your partner and to really stop pretending that you were always feeling well. Like it's okay if some days you don't feel well. And you mentioned that, you know, at first you didn't like this idea, but it actually led you to now have the most enjoyable sex life you could have ever imagined. Sorry for that pun. I'm not with him anymore, but he's like a really, really, really close friend of mine. Uh-huh. Um, and it's so funny because I, I, I sent him the article and he was like, oh, that's me. And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so he's funny. He's amazing. He's an amazing friend of mine. And, um, and yes, we – look, that was like a – that was like one of those half-half things, right? Like I took care of my side of the street in terms of laying out – what my issues were and he listened and the amazing thing about him was I've got to tell you this like this was such an interesting the first time that I told him he was like what the fuck <laughs> dude he, he was literally like his working class Brooklyn family and he's like if that was me if my penis hurt I would just be like no thank you no thank you of course you gotta tell me you got, I mean I'm butchering his accent he's like you gotta tell me you gotta tell me every time you gotta tell me oh my and god and I was like yeah, I will. And it was like, he's, he was so enthusiastic about the conversation. And I was just like so shocked because it's such an intimate, for me, it was such a cause of embarrassment for such a long time because I really want to be perfect. I want to be mm-hmm. like, firstly, I want to be like the perfect ice queen, you know, like I don't have feelings. You don't have to worry about me. And then, um, and then I don't have pain either. And I'm like so good in bed and like, I'm going to be the best, you know, fuck you've ever had, pardon the term. And like, I'm just going to, I'm going to be the most memorable sex you've ever had. And like, you know, just this kind of, I guess, I guess that's a byproduct of sort of that that idea of like my identity is dependent on what my partner thinks and like how I serve that partner. Obviously, I don't feel that way at all anymore, and I didn't then either. But I hadn't found a language like to discuss it, and sometimes I just be like, oh, it's just too. It, it was even too um, like too emotionally draining for me to talk about it again with someone, I was just like, I don't really want to talk about it. Like, I can get around it and I can just like have a little bit of painful sex here and there and he can enjoy it and he'll be happy and then if he's happy, I'm happy. And I realized like, well, no, like it's not going to work like that. And that in order to actually have true intimacy, I had to step up, right? Like I had to step up and be honest. And I think he was the first person with whom I just decided, look, I'm going to give him the whole gamut of the story. Mm -hmm. But that was because it was the first time that I had actually been convinced that it wasn't in my head. And there was something about that that was like very, um, 
I guess it's, the word is empowering because it's like I'm not crazy. Like my pain is valid and I'm not crazy and therefore my pain needs to be expressed. And there was also the bigger picture of if I don't tell him now, he's I'm not doing him a service because whether we end up together or not forever or whether he ends up dating another person, he's not, like he needs to know because other women have this problem and he's going to encounter it again mm. with someone else or he's going to be open to like talking about it with someone else and asking them questions. And so it was like, it wasn't just about me. It was also about my responsibility towards other women and other people with this condition. And when you kind of, when you think about it like that, then like, and also just like in a relationship, you're always going to have an awkward conversation about something. So it may as well be about this. It was kind of this opportunity to become closer but also deal with my problem and give someone the opportunity to be a true partner and help me. And I don't want help ever. Like I have that Lichtenstein print, um, the crying girl, drowning girl, you know, I'd rather drown than call Brad for help. And she's drowning. Like that's, that's like the, that's like the, the centerpiece of my house. And, um, cause I just never really want help and I want to sort everything out. And, but with, with this conversation, what ended up happening was, and I was really scared that sex would be really kind of technical, like, oh, move to the left, move to the right, go slower, oh, in this angle, that angle. But it actually became really fun. And through, like, being able to talk about it and knowing how to, like, start out, because I have problems starting, starting out and afterwards I'm off to the races. So, like, knowing that, then it became... It was kind of funny in the beginning and we could both laugh about it because it was a bit awkward, but because we both kind of let it be awkward, it was funny and fun. And then it became amazing. I don't want to embarrass him. He's probably going to listen to this. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was so adventurous. And I was like, my God, I never thought that like speaking about the most awkward thing in my life would actually make the sex the most adventurous exciting active you know sex I've kind of ever had and I don't want to take away from all the other wonderful men who have been around <laughs> it's been great with them too but it was just a new thing I mean it was just like it was safe it was safe emotionally it was safe physically like and and it was just amazing really amazing so yeah I don't want, I, I keep wanting to say his name. I don't want to say it, but he doesn't. He doesn't his friends don't go, that was you. Oh my God, I heard Boyana talking. That was you, man. That was your girlfriend. <laughs> you have this amazing quote in the article where you say, vulnerability bulldozed the embarrassment out of the bedroom. And I was able for the first time in my life to have pain-free and frankly awesome sex. I thought that was so good yeah that's true thank you mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly i think that that's kind of what i described in like twenty thousand words i wish i had the article <laughs> in front of me i could have just said that but that's exactly kind of what happened yeah and that's been my experience since and, and in any anything that i've read or you know I, I speak to my girlfriends about this stuff all the time too it's exactly what it comes back down to like that vulnerability actually even though it's the scariest thing it's the thing that yields the most pleasurable results not just mm -hmm. in sex but like in relationships yeah. in friendships in anything um even in activism you know mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very i'm a very active activist even then like when you have moments of vulnerability and you express where you're at and particularly some of the activism that i'm doing now it's with with groups of women and 
you know, it, it's oriented in, 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 you know, in the roots of, it's obviously got feminist roots and stuff. It's like, we actually check in with how we're feeling because mm. sometimes some of the women will snap at one another and it'll be like, okay, what's this about? And then we'll have a conversation and then we'll get on with it. Like, yeah. because feel, we're, not, we're not a corporation, like feelings are important. And so that sort of, that sense of the importance of vulnerability and look, this is Brene Brown 101. Like she's, she's the, she's the, you know, she's the vulnerability guru. Mm-hmm. She's the vulnerability numbers woman. <laughs> you know, like all of her rational research led her <laughs> to like this completely chaotic, you know, um, realization. And that is that like you put, you put your mess on the table. Like you, you allow someone to see the mess. Um, you have to. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I think also, like, my quest for control over my own body is what causes so much pain, too. Like, this idea that, like, there's something wrong with me and it needs to be fixed. What the fuck is it? Is it in my head? Is it in my body? What is it? Like, there's nothing to be fixed, actually. And even if I was still, to this day, walking around with endo and not knowing that it was endo, I still have a right to pleasurable sex, right? So I mm-hmm. still have a right to, um, to a good life. And so I would still want to encourage myself even if I hadn't gone through all of this research and all of these surgeries or not all of them too and all of these like um medical like examinations and all this stuff I would still want to encourage someone who is like me before to be like no on this day whatever it is even with the pain you're feeling you still have a right to like a healthy pain-free emotionally open chaotic life like there is nothing wrong with you mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I would want to tell myself back then too. Yeah. Yeah. So one last thing I want to talk about before we go is the idea of shame. Mm. And I know that you talk about this a lot as well, but the idea of shame being at the root of suffering, how did you learn to overcome your shame and and this is kind of related to the previous question and conversation but is there one or two things that you used as tools to really help you let go of that shame that is such a good question because it's like i i just remembered that Brene Brown talks about shame as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. And I feel like, I, I mean, I, I'd never, I don't think that I had um, thought about her throughout sort of my own personal journey with this. But my shame is definitely associated with um, the, 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 the taboo factor of female, like, sexuality, for sure, mm-hmm. right? This idea that, like, you know sex is supposed to look a certain way on porn it looks a certain way it's supposed to look like that always or even if it's not like oh you know sex is supposed to look like it does on a french film and it's like no one has pain in any of those like and when they do the direction in pornography is take it take it or like oh you you know it hurts so good it's like well hang on my pain doesn't hurt so good and i don't like it and then who do i tell when all of these like when Firstly, I'm told it's not a condition. Then I'm told it's in my head. Then I'm told it's normal for me to feel it. So if it's normal for me to feel it and the images that I'm seeing in society are either like no one's feeling it or the ones who are are like, oh, yeah, it hurts so good. It's like, where am I in that story? 
right? And I'm very lonely in that story because I'm not reading about other women, because I'm not discovering, you know, that the ailment of pelvic pain exists um, with a plethora of women, not just women who have endo. And I'm not like, I'm alone. Like I'm completely and utterly alone. And I'm feeling like I'm the only person who has this shame. And maybe there's some other women, but I don't know them because none of my friend group seems to be talking about it. And the only kind of shame that I ever hear people talking about are like, oh yeah, my vagina's a bit hairy or like, oh, my vagina's an Audi and I don't like it. And it's, and you know, and there, there I am going, oh, don't worry, this porn star has an Audi, go and watch her. She's proud of it. You'll be fine, you know? And there I am like having like these, you know, powerful, like fem- feminist women discussions. And yet I'm still feeling like, how do I like feel pleasure during intercourse and avail that pleasure to myself and my partner with this condition that I'm told is of my own causing of my own causation right or it's to do with my anatomy and it's nothing to do with like all of these conditions that we just discussed and I think for me I'm guessing I don't remember the moment because it wasn't like an aha moment with that shame disappearing, but it was definitely a step-by-step process of talking openly about that aspect of my anatomy, right? Firstly, with like friends, maybe, maybe with doctors, maybe with like friends about sex positions, maybe, maybe then reading something about a vagina, um, maybe reading someone's experience, then seeing the endo what documentary, and then starting to like embrace that my story isn't mine alone and that my voice in this isn't mine alone and that there are people who won't talk about this stuff and that's okay they don't need to um but when i speak about it something good happens right so i think i posted something about it after my first surgery and three four or five of my friends called me up immediately and were like i have this i have this i have this wow and by the way, three of those women were black and they said, I have, they, they talked about fibroids and like the, mm-hmm. the, um, the problem of fibroids within, um, you know, that 80% of women who are diagnosed with fibroids are African-American and it's just like a huge, huge problem um, in the community of women of color. And then I was like, oh my God, I, so I spoke about it from like that medical perspective and then I was like, you know, if we have all these songs like that are like honoring the vagina and are like, or like, you know, Janelle um, Monet, what's her name? Janelle Monet, Jesus, I forgot mm-hmm. her name, her last name's Monet. You know, and like we've got WAP now and all this. Like these are all fantastic things. These are great things where like women are the agents of their own like sexuality and it's wonderful. Um, whatever you think of it, right? There's, there's obviously, there's like different opinions and all of that, but. It, do, it doesn't really matter because women are becoming the agents of their own sexuality and, and there's going to be different forms of that and some forms we're going to like and some forms we're not going to like and it doesn't matter. It's happening. It's like, I guess I just thought, okay, but what about the vagina that hurts? Like, what about the vagina that isn't like pink and bright and wet and happy? What about the vagina that's like angry and in pain? And I need to start talking about it because maybe there's a way for that vagina that's in pain and that's angry to like express <laughs> express her feelings and like for me to be the voice of that in my partnerships and start talking about it and see how we can make her happy and like 
I guess that's a bit of a metaphor, but it definitely, like the shame started lifting when I started realizing how much good it was bringing, not just to me, but also to the men in my life and even men who are not my boyfriends. Like I now openly speak about it with other people too. Not like, I don't like, it's not like I'm, I'm not an exhibitionist about it. I don't, it's not like that, but it's like when it comes to conversations that people are having about sex or about genitals or about sexuality or gender, you know, I, I bring things up yeah. when it's the right time to do it. I don't force it on people because that has an adverse effect. And my shame lifts because when I think about it, like a shoulder injury, I go, we've got to talk about this. Yeah. We've got to keep talking about it. And I guess, and I know that there's people who are too shy to do that. And I was, and I'm not anymore because I've seen what good it's brought me and the people in my life. And so I'll just do it. I don't care. I just, I just stop caring what people think. I mean, I do still care what people think of me and I do still care that people are going to hear this, like, you know, who are going to be like, what the fuck? But at the same time, like, I have to kind of transcend my need to be liked by those random people who might be turned off by what I'm saying because the people who stand to benefit from it are far more important. Yeah. I could not agree more. I think that that is 100% the one of the ways, the most effective ways to overcome shame is by just literally getting comfortable sharing your story, sharing your truth, having the hard conversations with people. And I mean, you know, and I know that the more you do it, the easier it becomes, the better you feel, the more people you help and the less shame you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's the way it's the way it works. So, I mean, I would also say to everyone listening, like as hard as it may seem to talk about your experiences and to have the hard conversations it's actually so much easier to have them than to keep it all inside of you yeah because yeah yeah, keeping it in is is harder honestly look and for some people that's just having a good friend even a therapist talk about it with your therapist yeah and on that level it might be enough right because if that friend's me i'll be here to tell you there's a thousand Right. Like, let me tell you, here's an article I wrote. Here's another article. Like, because I've been researching all of that, right? So, mm-hmm. like, and so, and and it's like there are there are going to be people like me who are going to talk about it on a much much more kind of wider scale. And hopefully soon I'll be able to stop talking about it because other people will be you know taking that on, and then I can kind of like sit back and you know have my have my private life again. But I I don't think like. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess when it's about just letting people know they're not alone, I think mm-hmm. that's really important. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I completely agree. If you had to say one thing or you know give one piece of advice to everyone listening, what would it be? Um, well, I don't like giving people advice because I think the most important thing is for people to research things for themselves mm-hmm. and to like, I, I feel like your body is your best advice giver, right? Like your body doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Like pain is pain. It doesn't lie. Um, and I feel like 
my the only thing that I can share is my experience. And when I do, when I dove head when I dove head first into the pain, when I was like, okay, the pain is a signal. I'm going to follow the signal, and I'm going to let it lead me where it's supposed to lead me. That's when I started to like go on this on this personal and collective journey, and like discover the things that I needed to discover about myself about my, like my recovery process, my endometriosis, my pelvic pain, my anxiety, all of it. And I just, it, it's like, I just follow the signals that my body is giving me, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's adrenaline or joy or anxiety or pain or, or lethargy or, you know, a little moment of depression or, 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 you know, butterflies in my tummy or it's like your body doesn't lie. <laughs> no, so, absolutely not. Yeah. Thank you so, 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 so much for being here. Are there any resources that you have to recommend? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so EndoWatt as a documentary and the website, I feel like for endometriosis. I would also uh, grab a copy of Amy's book, um, uh, Amy Stein's book. I think it's called Pelvic Pain or Overcoming Pelvic Pain. It's very mm-hmm. specifically to do with like physical therapy um exercise and stuff because i think exercise is like probably one of the only proven proven factors to reduce pain associated with endometriosis i i have a like yeah. i have a feeling that that's like med, like the medically sound number one thing um probably with everything actually um that gosh um there was a few others maybe i'll have to just like send them to you and you can announce totally them because fine. i wasn't sure yeah. I, I wasn't prepared for this specific no, thing on. but in terms of endo- endometriosis and pelvic pain those two things are where i would start um and i think refinery 29 has incredible like articles about endo i think if you go on their website and then just like hit endometriosis it'll a, a whole bunch of stuff will come up i think they've got and it's very many different experiences and many many different sort of um sort of um yeah i completely agree thank you so 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 much and lastly where can everyone contact you if they want to send you a message or just reach out to you ask a question (laughs) (laughs) messages so obviously like i have um instagram i don't have facebook um i have instagram but i don't check my dms often and so um because i'm not like a i'm not really a social media like I like to post things and I read things, but I'm not like, I don't socialize on media. I think it's media. I don't think it's very yeah. social. Um, but you can hit me up on that and try. Otherwise, I do have like a, a public email, which is info at boy, but B-O-J-N-O-V-A-K.com. Info at bodgenovac.com. <laughs> Amazing. Thank um, you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, and my Instagram is boy novak but it's spelled b-o-j-n-o-v-a-k and i'll link all of this in the show notes so that people can easily access everything this was amazing i am so appreciative of you taking the time to be here and, and share all of this thank you thank you thank you okay thank you too this podcast is for educational purposes only it does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor patient relationship is formed. 
The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.